But guys do. I, f I speak fluent dude, man. I, I understand how we are. I'm gonna tell you why. Okay, ladies, you know, how many times has there been a guy in your life, or it, guys in, where there's been men in your life who want to sleep with you, but you didn't want to sleep with him? Yeah. Zillions, you can't count it. So, <laughs> what that means, there's a, there's a philosophy there, meaning you are sexable. He wants to sleep with you, but just because you are sexable don't mean I'm sexable, right? Same thing with love, just cause I'm lovable. Doesn't mean that you're lovable too. You're just likable to me. You didn't do for me what I did for you to feel that way. You understand what I'm saying? It, it, it's, it's very simple. So if you just wait for me to love you, then you, you'll be all right. You might have to wait a while. <laughs> but men don't have the option to muscle you like you muscle us. You know, you gotta either shit or get off the pot. We've been together <laughs> this many months and it's time for us to discover where, like, but, Men don't say nothing like that to muscle you, man. That's, that's, you know, I can't go, look, we've been going out for a week now. It's, 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 uh... It's time for you to roll these panties down, cause... It's been too long, I've been buying you drinks, and you got to either shit or get off the pot. We are back. Hello and welcome. Welcome back to Comedian Ordinaire, the world's most okay podcast. These are the first words that I've spoken all day long, so that's pretty crazy. You ever pay attention to that, like the very first words that you say in a day? Maybe it's too attentive, but uh, anyways, hey, off to a good start, right? First words are the podcast. I remember my first words were, I think, bitch, bitch twice because it was words so i think i said that twice anyways uh welcome welcome back um man let's see i guess if you'd like to support the podcast you can do so by telling a friend and apparently the best way to find a friend is joining a pottery class uh join a pottery class find a friend make some pots together some pottery harry pottery and uh tell them that you listen to this podcast and hopefully they will follow suit a new phrase that i learned this week that i like follow suit i don't think we use that enough i also like the word happenstance happenstance that's uh, we don't say it enough i don't say it enough maybe you guys say it too much what is this podcast even about so far well i'm glad you asked <laughs> or i'm glad i asked um I, as you can see by the title of this episode I'm talking about Patrice O'Neill and where he would be today. Uh, I'm going to break down his technique 
and how he developed that technique to become a top five comedian of all time. But first, a little bit of backstory. Patrice O'Neill was an American comedian that was born in Boston in 1969. He first started performing comedy when he was 22 or 23, which is also around the same time he was diagnosed with type 2 diabetes. He was most known for his conversational style of stand-up, also confrontational. Uh, Patrice was a comedian who not only sought out confrontation, but thrived in it. And oftentimes, he'd say something with the intention of upsetting and provoking the audience or a specific member of the audience and spend the rest of his set trying to win them back or at least get them to see things from his point of view. He mainly focused on subjects like relationships, race, and double standards. He hates women. He hates women. Somebody got to tell you. ask you a question here's a question here's a good, serious question okay ladies if you didn't have a vagina like say it was a terrible train accident right and the doctor was like we have to remove your pussy right away or you're gonna die how would you keep your man past you get a two-month guilty I can't leave the bitch right away because she just lost a pussy in a train accident Can't just walk right out on him. How would you keep your man past that if you didn't have a vagina? Wow. Nothing? You can talk. You can talk. Suck his dick. Okay. Mouth. Asshole, okay, great. Do you see what I'm saying? Now, I've been getting pussy beam the whole show, right? But I give women the opportunity to say, I'm gonna make myself worth more. But you just classified yourself as a series of holes. But, but I, you know, I'm, I'm supposed to treat you special, but you're just a bunch of holes to yourself. No one said learn how to play Xbox, learn how to play pool tell better stories, get another bitch that got a pussy to come on in. Well, look, whatever. Some critics, and even Patrice himself at one point, described his comedy as misogynistic and downright disrespectful. His point of view on relationships, and women especially, led many to label his comedy as sexist and insensitive. This perspective may have partially been shaped by an incident that took place when he was 16 years old, and charged with statutory rape involving a 15-year-old. I'll get into all of that uh, towards the end of the podcast. Basically, Patrice's style of comedy is one of a kind. It's literally some of the best stand-up we've ever seen. It's aggressive, but incredibly thoughtful. It's hilarious and upsetting. I believe Patrice was able to do this by deconstructing who the audience was collectively and then attack with everything that he had. Patrice would also rely heavily on his improvisation skills to keep a set going and right on stage. Through his time on the Opie and Anthony radio show, he finally started to gain more notoriety. And in 2005, filmed a half-hour HBO special. He's been on television more times than I care to count, which includes shows like Arrested Development, Chappelle Show, 
the roast of Charlie Sheen. As I previously mentioned, Patrice had been battling type 2 diabetes for most of his adult life, and in 2011 passed away at the age of 41. Today, the Patrice O'Neill benefit is held annually in New York City and serves as a celebration in which all proceeds go directly to his family. Uh, I guess to start, I will really want to try and break down his technique and explain the patterns that I've found in his performance. I think one of Patrice's signature moves on stage was to get the crowd on his side while he went to town on somebody in the audience. He'd usually pick one person out and have a conversation with them, maybe ask them a lot of questions and get them to explain and expose themselves. The rest of the crowd would watch the confrontation and cheer on Patrice as he humiliated whoever chose to speak up. Like black women, there's, a, there's this thing, like I don't know like how much people really know about, like, do you see my man, what's your name, bro? Tolu. <laughs> I'm trying to be all brotherly, but I'm like, nigga, Tolu. What you named after feet and a hula hoop thing? Like, some goofy African name, somebody named it. My mother did that same stupid shit. That's what Patrice is. I would've, let me tell you something. You be watching, if it was up to one of my goofy ass 80 old aunts, I'd be Lumumba O'Neal up this motherfucker. <laughs> Your moms went right through with it. Tulu, the... The man with eight white friends. <laughs> they can't even fully have you as a friend. What the fuck? They gonna introduce you to other white people? This is Tulu. The Tulu Robertson. What the fuck is wrong with you? Don't say Lulu or Tutu. I hate that name. And you got the, the voice that go with it, too. Tolu. Deep voice as Tolu. And you sitting with a Ralph and a Brian and a Jimmy. You can hear him doing it again in his 2008 Elephant in the Room special, only this time trying to upset the crowd the job it's unfair that I can't harass you at the workplace like you look at how you looking and I can't just a little something that has to do like you got to be careful just to say hey you look beautiful today that's how messed up the game is I think you should be able to comment on any part of the body that you see, if you, I'm serious. What's your name? What's your name? Jeannie. Now, Jeannie, no disrespect, but if I work with you, I should be able to walk in and go, oh, Jeannie, beautiful uh, titty meat you have there. And, because I see that, but, Whatever the scientific term is, I'm um, looking at Mr. A 4.9 grade point average. What's the... The way I see it is that Patrice had the bit prepared prior, but knew exactly how to make it sound like it was coming out of the audience. He'd start by asking somebody in the crowd a question, 
knowing what their answer would be in order to make it sound more conversational. That is top shelf white woman right there. You know how you can tell how pretty a white woman is? The value, you look at her and then you wonder how long they would look for if she was missing. Come on, take a look, take a look. Look at this nigga, look, 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 look! I saw you look mad, sweetie. How long if you was missing? How long you think they were? How long you think they were? Exactly. She don't even, she went. <laughs> you know the deal. I ain't saying nothing wrong. White woman's life is valuable. What's his name? Yorin uh, Vandersloot? Right? We find out he was a serial killer. Man, he kills women. That's what he do. He do it well. You know what I mean? We know the girl that he, that he you know, supposedly had... Uh, what's the girl in Aruba? Natalie Holloway, right? But the one, he just killed a girl in Peru. What's her name? Um, exactly. <laughs> Something else Patrice liked to do a lot was point out double standards he felt women were getting away with. He'd approach the topic by saying something outrageous he knew the audience would disagree with. The crowd might laugh timidly at first, but that's only because they were just waiting to see what his bigger point was. That's disrespectful because it's sexual, but that keeps me from being... Like, I think, look, I think there should be a holiday, uh, for lack of a better word, harassment day, but not... That sounds whatever, but I mean a day where I get to find out, like, because, and this is why it should be harassment day, because women get to be inappropriate sexually all the time. You get to be inappropriate. And when I say inappropriate, I mean, say hello to me too close. Hi. <laughs> or some weird massage, because you think we're friends and you, good morning, little kiss, and he's just like, oh, oh, boy, oh, boy, 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 boy. And you think in your head, man, I wonder if I, I wonder if I, I don't know. <laughs> but harassment day allows you to be able to ask. Oh, yeah, I say the Tuesday before Thanksgiving. <laughs> We always felt like something was coming. You can also listen to the first minute of this podcast to hear him pointing out another double standard. Another one of Patrice's strongest traits was his reliance on improvisation. If early crowd work went well and he didn't feel like getting into prepared material too quickly, he just used the momentum he built to read the room and try to find something to make them laugh, whether it be a person in the crowd or something he saw. This might be the longest clip I put in the episode, but I think it illustrates the point perfectly. From the album Mr. P, he ends on a bit that involves him praying to God during a tsunami, but he started the joke by telling the crowd he loved the D.C. area. You can sort of hear his brain just start to rattle off things and get into rhythm. I love it, man. It's my favorite place to do comedy. 
I don't think the people are it's the best people. DC is the shit it is for me. I don't leave like this uh, this square block. But I'm getting it from y'all being here. So I, every time I come, I go, I, you know, I'm, I'm okay, man. I'm high. I like it. I like it. I really do. I, I, I can drive here. Uh, that's a big deal because I don't like to fly. No, no one likes to fly. I mean, mm. I don't want to crash. Like when you think about that shit, that's just you just go. Well, I don't want to crash, you know. That's it, and I don't. I, so that's all I need, really. Fucking not to want to fly. Cause you see all the bad shit that can happen to you out of nowhere. Like you watch this fucking Japanese tsunami and you earthquakes and shit, and then you start to have to. Like you have a look. You believe in God, you okay, I believe in God, but you ever have trouble giving a fuck about like shit that you're supposed to give a fuck about? And so you trying to work it out with God to just like you be like, this tsunami's terrible, and you just and you just like, oh my god, I can't, I I can't uh I cannot give a fuck about this shit. Cause you love God. You love, look, you're not evil, but you're just like, God, send me a sign to let me know why I should give a fuck about this shit. This is Patrice fully relying on his ability to read a room and remain calm, never getting too alarmed if people aren't laughing constantly. He stays in the pocket and goes with his gut. He's got good instincts, so he's got good improv. It's really that simple. The album Mr. P was released a year after his death, and it's filled with mostly crowd work that turns into Patrice literally just showing off how good he is at stand-up. All right, I mean, I've shared a lot of examples about patterns in the stand-up that I saw. I know there are so many more that I could probably point out if I just did a little bit more research or more homework or whatever, but I don't know. These uh, these podcasts that I'm doing about specific comedians really are just so much work, and I don't know if I made one that was an hour long that's like, seven days of work, like two, three hours a day researching and writing. So I'm sorry if you're expecting a longer episode. I'm trying to keep this brief and a little bit educational. Now, though, having said that, I want to talk about the mentality and the mental approach Patrice took to stand-up comedy, which begs the question, how did he get that good? Why does he talk about women like that? And what does his mental approach to stand-up actually look like? I guess for starters, you only get that good through ungodly amounts of practice and dedication and also personal circumstance. I think part of what shaped Patrice's view on women was an incident that he was involved in when he was 16 years old. Take a listen to Patrice explaining it for himself. What happened? It was was white and blackness involved. So here's the story. We're going to look for these other girls that we met so we started you know talking to them blah blah 
So in the car, there was a black girl and a Portuguese girl. And it, and it just went smoothly. Just talking, just chilling, just fucking uh -huh. things like that. Being young, here's the mistake. We told one of the guy's cousins that this chick, we did this. Yeah, we had a fun time two weeks ago. He goes and grabs her. And this fucking cocksucker, to this day, I, I, I hate this motherfucker. He blackmails her. Says, listen, if you don't suck my dick, oh no, I'm gonna tell everybody. She sucked his dick. After she sucked his dick, she runs through school. <laughs> she goes into her big brother's uh, classroom, who goes to the same school. He gets up and he's chasing that motherfucker around school, wow. trying to kill him. They get him in all in the office. She goes, <laughs> Ravy, and then she goes. Doo -doo 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 uh oh. Uh oh. And I got raped in Boston through me, Kyle! Oh, no. What? Oh, no. What? This is why I love my mother like I don't love anybody else. Then when I told her it was a white girl, she went, Aah. Oh, man. I was in the trunk of a car heading to a state unknown. How'd you guys get off? Didn't get off. You didn't? Didn't get off. I was 16, she was 15. But we admitted, yeah, we fucked her. Yeah. But it's 16, 15. And that's statutory. That was statutory. That's it. How long? Two months. Wow. So he starts by making sure to drive home the point that it was a white and black misinvolved or misunderstanding, already showing that he separates people by race, which isn't inherently a bad thing. But on top of that, add a worldview shaped by unfair trauma makes for a reality that's slightly skewed. Um, I don't think it helps that the woman involved in the case was white either. So Patrice was being a kid and by his account didn't feel like he had done anything wrong. And part of what makes situations like this so hard to get to the bottom of is the lack of evidence. At best, we have to hear both sides of the story and piece it together as logically and fairly as we can. And even that doesn't always work. So was Patrice found guilty? Yes. Did he do something wrong with the woman who may have not given him permission? Look, that's really hard to say, and there's no way to come to a conclusive answer on this. But what we can take from the situation is Patrice's entire world view on women and race was heavily scarred and shaped into what was being labeled as misogynistic. Patrice also had a pretty interesting view on stand-up comedy itself calling it a mob mentality where people actually wanted to be manipulated into forgetting their struggles and ongoings. He focused more on the mental side of comedy rather than the structure and building a joke word by word. It's possible, I, like this show here, man, it's possible the crowd just didn't like me. You gotta make the right choice, you gotta read the crowd, you gotta hope they want to laugh. There's a lot of things going on when there's a dynamic of a, a mob. It's a mob dynamic, it's a lot. It's a people sitting there watching you and they want to be manipulated. You know, you're dealing with a lot of people that want to be manipulated into forgetting that they're having a tough time. or they're... That's what it is. It's manipulation, dude. Laughter is something that people don't do because they want to do. They kinda, they're kind of uh, made to do so. They're kind of, you know, you know. So that's, that's the art and science of comedy? Yeah, it's manipulation. It's just like, you know, somebody sitting there like, you might come out and, you know, I don't like your face. You just look like somebody that, look like a nigga that robbed me when I was a kid. It's, 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 it's real uh, instinctive. It's real na uh, native shit, you know what I mean? It is. It's like, 
you you come out and um, you just go, I don't like this dude. And then now I got to manipulate you into not liking me and into laughing. You know, that's a, that's serious. And without letting you know it, you know, by just my words to arbitrary people, really I'm talking to you. But if this was 50 people out here, I might be talking to you, but they all listening and you representing them. So if you like me, then it'll trickle over to that one. It's, 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 it's mental. It's a lot of mental shit going on with this game. It's a serious thing. I also thought it was interesting that the common perception of Patrice was someone who had more confidence than he knew what to do with. But hearing this from his point of view might change your mind. That unshaking, like, I'm going to win, I don't have that. I have a, you know, I just, I, I, I do it because I have to do it, you know. I just do it. Yeah, it's just, I just do it, and then, and it's anxiety sometimes. Like, these two shows, anxiety, man. People, you know, heard about this guy, Patrice O'Neill, come down. And if I gotta deliver, and if I don't, if I deliver mediocre, mediocre, mediocrity, it's not good enough, man. It's good, you know. People have to go. It was worth the the name, you know. I have to live up to my name. Patrice relied on his comedic instincts, something I believe all the greats do. And I know we live in a comedy world where Jerry Seinfeld preaches the importance of knowing the act word for word and breath for breath, motion for motion. But what we might be overlooking is a comedian's natural ability to make people laugh. It's the entire reason any of us even start. We think we're funny. Patrice knew he was funny and knew that being himself and having a conversation with people is when it would really shine and show. And no disrespect to Jerry, I'm sure he knows what he's talking about for himself specifically. But when I watch Dave Chappelle at work, I know I'm not watching someone who wrote down every single word and studied the joke for five years before saying that it was finally done. I think sometimes the funniest things happen unexpectedly. Like talking to a guy named Tolo. Something else that came up a lot in his stand-up was the subject of race, which, like I was saying, may have been shaped by what happened when he was 16, But he also grew up in Boston during the 70s, where I'm sure the subject was absolutely impossible to ignore. I think what makes his stance of the matter so interesting, though, is the idea that he didn't want to be perceived as a black comedian. In a recent interview of the Joe Rogan podcast, Joe was talking about why Patrice moved to England for a while, saying that there he wasn't a black comedian. He was just fat. And this is really where Patrice was allowed to expand his routine and persona. And by the time he got back, he felt like he really had more to offer. He wanted to be universal and said that his travel experience is what made him capable of being more than just black to the world. I want everybody to like me, man. Everybody. Everybody. I don't know if that's possible, but I, I, I want to... Uh... I just I want to do the uh, 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 the whole scope. I want the 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 scape to be, you know, universal. I guess is the word. You know, I I would love it, but I don't I don't want to sacrifice who I am. You know, there's some things that I do. I'm, I mean, I'm 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 interested in a lot of cultures, man. I've grown, I've traveled, so there's some things that um, there's some things that uh, I could bring to the world. I can't just bring black to the world because I've I've been you know seven, eight, nine countries. You know. Alright, so if Patrice was so great, and so advanced, so skilled, so well-rounded as a comedian, why wasn't he bigger? Why is it that we're only talking about him like this post-humus? Well, for starters, I think Patrice went on the record 
and called himself a professional bridge burner. And every time he got some sort of opportunity in the industry and they asked him to tap dance a little bit, he might play along for a bit, but ultimately he felt like he was losing grip with who he really was as a person. He hosted a show for a couple of seasons, did some television here and there, but ultimately could never really stick with anything that wasn't stand-up comedy. So where would he be if he were around today? That's a great question. So thank you to me for asking it. I think if he got the chance to compete for attention in the Netflix era of comedy, I mean, I got to believe that he'd probably be on the same sort of level as a Dave Chappelle or a Kevin Hart. I think maybe the argument for Dave being the greatest wouldn't be as easy to make if Patrice were still around. His ideas were controversial, but... He explained him in a way that was genuine. He'd say something <clears throat> He'd say something outlandish and then make you see things from his perspective. Uh, he didn't have the words He didn't have the world's most popular sketch comedy show, but he did consistently perform and grow during Dave's absence. I mean Dave wasn't performing stand-up. He was in Africa. And this is really when Patrice was on the rise. This was like 2005 after he put out the HBO special so I mean my guy was in the clubs working while another comedian wasn't and really I I guess I'm saying who's to say that Patrice wouldn't have gotten even better and put more specials out than just elephant in the room maybe he's the first comedian to sign a 20 million per special deal with Netflix I also feel like he'd have some sort of beef with Kevin Hart, and I don't really have anything to support this other than a gut feeling. But in this interview, just the way he mentions his name and talks about feelings of jealousy just leads me to believe that they'd have some sort of rift or disagreement. Yeah, I'm not, a, I'm not that guy. And, and I, always, I, I respect anybody that does what they do. Kev looks at it as a hustle. I look at it as a, it's life. It got me through you know, got me through life before I was even a comic. I mean, it just kept me alive. And uh, you know, I, getting paid is you know, I don't do nothing else. So yeah, it's paid, but it's a it's a weird um, paradox. You know, it's a uh, you know to have to do something you want to have respect, but at the same time you got to feed yourself, feed maybe your family, and take care of people. You have a responsibility and sometimes. Uh, your artistic uh, moral dilemma don't mean shit. You got to feed your family, you know, period, you know. So uh, people who look at it as a hustle, I wish I had that kind of confidence. Kevin has a lot of confidence. He's just a confident kid, and I, I, I'm jealous of that confidence. His idea of success may not have been far off either. He was under the impression that anybody in a successful position in life owed somebody else a favor. And I think a large part of the industry game was hustling and waiting for somebody to throw you a favor. So to me, there's an equal chance of him never adapting to the industry and tailing off to some sort of comedian's comedian. And then I also see a world where Patrice might be number one in the industry, folds around him instead. I think with the popularity of podcasts taking off and self-produced internet content, I mean, really, who's to say that he wouldn't dominate in the free market and pave the way for others to do the same and not totally bend to the rules of the industry and have to tap dance for all these executives. 
So in conclusion, I think Patrice was well on his way to making a legacy for himself if he hadn't done so already. He worked with all the comedians we call great today, including people like Bill Burr, Dave Chappelle, Kevin Hart, Joe Rogan, Charlie Sheen, all-time greats. And where would he have been today? Well, like I said, I think he'd dominate in the Netflix era. Maybe he puts out a couple of specials, mostly consisting of crowd work, and maybe he gets better at shaping a more traditional act. I'm not pulling these ideas out of thin air either. I believe that if you look at anybody with a long and consistent track record of success, it's almost inevitable that they wouldn't continue on that path. Not to mention that his approach to stand-up is one of a kind and very unique. He loved being in the hot seat, and I actually think that's the seat where he was at his best. And would he have gotten his own TV show? Maybe not, considering how stubborn he had always been with executives. But I also don't think that it would have mattered in the internet age of comedy. It's not a secret that he wasn't made for Hollywood. He had all the talent and capability in the world. It was just his choice to control his own life and his own work. And to quote Patrice, they can't control you if you don't have or want anything. The way to control someone who doesn't have anything is to give them something and then hold it against them. Fucked up, you know what I mean? I've been pretty, uh, I've been pretty, uh, I've had integrity, I think, you know what I mean? So that's all it has to be is a little integrity. Do what you do and hopefully it works out. And if it don't work out, you don't know anyway, you be dead. You just do it till you, till you don't do it. And there you have it. There you have it. A little synopsis on what made Patrice O'Neill the comedian he was. A look into how he did it and some of the different things that he was known for. I hope that was educational. Strung it all together. And uh, yeah, I think I'm going to start doing more of these. I'll pick different comedians um, over the next couple of weeks. These have been a lot of fun to put together. I hope your enthusiasm is at least 10% of where mine's at because I'm having so much goddamn fun watching all this comedy and writing about these comedians and talking about them and sharing what they're doing with other people. So if you've listened this far, thank you so much. Really do appreciate it. As always, if you would like to support the podcast, you can do so by telling a friend. Need to make a friend to do that, and that's really tough nowadays. Like I said, join a pottery class, maybe take guitar lessons, but with the mask. Join a church basketball league. There's so many different things that you can do. I can't be your friend, though. That's a that's a you problem. So make that friend. Tell them about the podcast. Tell them it's about comedy, and tell them they have something in their teeth. What else? Uh, you can follow the podcast on Instagram at comedian.ordinaire. And hopefully more of these will be coming out over the next couple of weeks. So look out for these uh, every Sunday. And just thank you so much for listening. And as always, you can reach the podcast at comedianordinairegmail.com. All of that information is in the description. I hope I did Patrice well with this uh, short biography here. And if I didn't, oh well, uh, who's going to say anything? I know he can't. So thanks for listening. <laughs>